I googled famous characters for the voices to, for the voices and it's look at the wild <laughs> in order oh google God. gives you jack sparrow ace ventura bilbo baggins atticus finch bridget jones the joker and anakin skywalker as its top just like what famous <laughs> characters are. Those are the those are the famous <laughs> characters. The theme of all of these, except for Bridget Jones, no, but, but maybe I like even that Bridget, Bridget Jones. But like is all there. the rest of them are kind of just like disappointing men. Disappointing men. <laughs> well, she's flanked by two. In she's that flanked photo. by two disappointing men. <laughs> Something familiar, something peculiar, <laughs> something for everyone. A, a comedy, comedy of tonight, errors, tonight of errors. Tonight. Welcome, noble patrons. Welcome, gentles all. <laughs> this is what you will. A tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. I'm Charlotte Aline. And I'm Danielle Cohn. And today we're going to talk about the, the comedy, comedy of, of errors. errors. Yuck, 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 hey. yuck, yuck, yuck. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's. Well, the Comedy's certainly in the title. I would. It's definitely a comedy. <laughs> it is a comedy. Whether or not it's funny, I think is is, is going to be a broad topic of discussion for debate. So this is everyone's <laughs> favorite Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. It's um, a play about two twins and two other twins who pull a parent trap accidentally. It's about a guy who really just wants to get paid for the work he did on this lovely chain. It's like. Loki, kind of an anti-capitalist rant, it's, a little bit. Yeah, it's a play about a lady and her sister and how both of them are just trying to navigate the world of marriage. It's really, I mean, I think the real question of this It's play, a play about a duke who really likes to gossip. It is a play about a duke who really <laughs> likes to gossip and um, a doctor who should have his medical license revoked. The real And qu- a guy who's like, I'm looking for my long-lost son, but also... And bad at looking. Also a guy who's like, spends so long of my life that I'm never getting back saying to me through the words of William Shakespeare, hey, I had twin sons that were totally identical and I had other twin servant babies that I just had and I lost half of both twins and then when he runs into adult people who look like those know, people, we'll, we'll get there. he's just like, what? It's just... It's untenable, right. is what I'm saying. So, no. So, the, the first things first, uh, we, we need to give you our three-minute synopsis. Our three-minute synopsis. The comedy. Trademark, 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 copyright, three-minute synopsis. It's ours, it's ours, it's ours forever now. Okay, so this is our best. Uh, bear with us. Our apologies in advance if we fuck up a twin name. But here we go. So there's this old guy, and he's from Syracuse, and he's in Ephesus, which is against all of the rules, and so they're going to put him to death. But he's like, wait a minute, record scratch, freeze frame. You want to know how I got here? And he tells this whole sad story about how he had twin babies who were identical, and then he bought twin servant babies who were also identical for his twin babies. But then there was a terrible shipwreck, and he lost half of both sets of twins and also his wife, and then he named his sets of twins after the ones who were lost. So it turns out that his, as he gets older, the twin baby that he did have, Antiphilus of Syracuse, um, is like, where's my twin friend? Um, so he and his dad decide to go searching, and they've been searching for five years for the other half of the twins, and that's why he's there. And the Duke is very moved by this story, so he's like, you know what? If you can find someone to pay your bail, I'm going to be chill and let you live. So Antiphilus of Syracuse and his servant baby, Dromeo of Syracuse, roll up in Ephesus, and they're like, here we are. and Looking and, for our twin. And Antiphilus is like, go deposit some money for me. Me because we need to be separated for plot purposes. Um, and then another <laughs> Dromeo of Ephesus rolls up on Antiphilus of Syracuse and is like, hey, you're late for dinner and your wife is angry. And Antiphilus is like, what? I don't have a wife. How ridiculous. So uh, he beats this Dromeo and sends him away. And Dromeo goes back to the wife, Adriana. And he's like, I, your, your husband's acting super weird. He's not coming to dinner. And Adriana's like, fuck, he's probably cheating on me. I hate that bitch. 
Keep going. So Adriana uh, rolls up on the wrong Antipolis and is like, come to dinner. You hate me. Um, and he's like, I guess this is what's happening now. So the two Syracuse boys get dragged home by Adriana and her super hot, super mellow sister, Luciana. And they have dinner and they've set... Romeo of Syracuse to guard the door. And uh, in the meantime, Antiphilus of Syracuse, who's there having dinner with a woman who's not actually his wife, comes on to the wife's sister because he's yes. actually not married at all. And he's like, you're super hot. And she's like, no, you should be chill. Uh, and then Dromeo is getting hit on by the girlfriend of his twin, again, wife. thinking that, or wife of his twin, who thinks that he's him. And he's like, no, gross, you're gross. Um, meanwhile, the Ephesus boys, who are the ones who are actually married to all of these people, roll up for dinner. Uh, but Dromeo of Syracuse is guarding the door and he's like, you can't come in, you can't come in, you can't come in. And so, uh, Antiphilus of Ephesus is like, fuck this, fuck all of you. I'm gonna go buy a nice chain that I was gonna give it to my wife and give it to a courtesan instead. And so he goes to do this, but there's a merry mix em up and the jeweler guy gives the chain to to the wrong Antiphilus, and then he is like, you'll pay me later in the next scene. And then he finds the wrong Antiphilus again, who he did not give the chain to, and is like, where's my money? And he's like, what? And so the two Ephesus boys end up getting dragged away to jail and uh, because tortured. Because they didn't pay for the chain. Because they didn't pay for the chain, and tortured by uh, an evil doctor named Dr. Pinch. And then the uh, court, uh, no, the Duke and the and the dad show up, and they're like, what the heck is going on? Oh my gosh, both twins walk in at the same time. They've been twins all along. And they also find their mom. And so everybody is happy and all together. The end. Time. Time. Yes. So that was super clear and no one has any questions. (laughs) So the comedy of errors. Okay, first let's acknowledge that the the plot is built of gossamer wings and fairy dreams and just the the thinnest of plots. Yeah, because really like the biggest issue with the plot, as far as I'm concerned, is that what sets it in motion is that the dad and the brother show up being like, we're going to find these long lost twins. And then our long lost identical twins who have the same names as us. And this is all information we have. And then proceed to spend the entire play being confused that people are treating them as though they know them. And not once does it occur to any of them that perhaps this is a sign that these, the twins are here. Nope. And it's not until the very end of the play when they are in the same room that everyone's like, oh, twins, though. Twins, though. I also would just like to posit that I think that Shakespeare just thought that twins were funny. Mm -hmm. Just like not not even mix-em-ups. I think Shakespeare was just like, you know what the fuck is funny? Fucking twins. I mean, in Shakespeare's defense, I do think if Lindsay Lohan and Lindsay Lohan and Mary-Kate and Ashley have proven anything to us, it's that twins are funny. And you can have a delightful family comedy starring twins. (laughs) I don't know that this one is that. Man, yeah. Because it's missing the key element of the twins, like... I mean, they know, at least the the Syracuse boys know that they have identical twins somewhere in the world. But anyway, so so one of the things that I found very interesting about the play this time reading it is that there's a lot of language surrounding, like, witches and magic. Like, there's they keep being like, ah, oh, we must be in an island of, of magic because everyone knows our names and is treating us like they know us and there's their reaction to that is like ooh how whimsical <laughs> um, which is just like an interesting choice that those characters make as a reaction to this bizarre happenstance. That's interesting. I didn't pick up on any of that. There's a lot. Like, there were quite a few moments where they're like, oh, how weird, whimsical place we are in. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is that the plot is so tenuous. And I think, in Shakespeare's defense, sort of more on par with the comedies of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, This was one of his earlier plays. It's very much like, the Adam Sandler movie of Shakespeare plays in terms of like the audience it's going for and the jokes, the humor it's going for. Um, So I think there is a lot of characters kind of almost winking at the audience in terms of like, "Eh, the plot is dumb, but we're gonna make a lot of witty remarks. Well, yeah. The the other thing that I, I really did notice about the play is the way the comedy functions is it's not that, uh, a lot of the situations aren't actually that funny, but there are a lot more what felt like almost vaudevillian bits, 
where like they're the the scene is happening and then the rhythm of the scene kind of changes and the two characters who are having whatever actual stakes is happening will suddenly be like and here's a setup, and here's a punchline, and here's a setup, and here's I mean, a punchline. I mean, the play grinds to a screeching halt right in the middle for Dromeo of Syracuse to stop and do some 90s stand-up about how fat his twin's wife is. Yep. Like that. And it is very witty and and you know like a lot of the turns of phrase are funny he he they do a whole like shtick about oh she's as round as a globe and you can find out countries in her and like his his antiphilus keeps being like and where is ireland and then he'll be like oh i could tell where ireland was from the smell of the bogs in her armpits or whatever it's just a lot of a lot of that delightful humor but i think that really something that stuck out to me reading the play this time that that moment encapsulates is a lot of the humor is kind of not that i mean a lot of the people who are being made the butt of the jokes are people who have the less power in the situation yeah it's definitely punching down it's punching down and i know i mean i think when we read old texts we should have some acknowledgement of like the time period they were written in and what well, the stands were. Well, that's how comedy then, right? Is like but, the, the dramas were about the gods and the comedies were about the the common folk in the mud. But I want to say for this play is very aware of how mean the mean humor is. Like the characters are constantly dro- the Dromios, especially poor Dromeo of Ephesus, who I feel very seen by because he talks constantly about how he's beaten. All of the time. And, and it's how his, funny, but... It's funny. He's making jokes about it, but at a certain point, it's just sad. Adriana has a rant about how men abuse women. Luciana, who's, like, very down with the patriarchy, even all of her stuff is still very much like, oh, well, women should just accept that our lot in life is to be oppressed. Like, like this is how it is. It's a play that's very aware of the power dynamics, and it's not really making excuses for them but it's still asking us to laugh at them. And I think there's a certain amount of like, ah, it was the time that you can do, but only so much because Shakespeare knows that this world is unfair to women and slaves and fat people. Like that's all, that's all in there. Yeah. I, I, a couple that I like flagged were towards the end of it. There are a couple of jokes that stood out as like moments that could just be jokes, but also really not. Mm -hmm. Um, one is when, uh, one of the Antiphili is beating a Dromeo. The officer says to the Antiphilus to be patient. And Dromeo says, what? I'm the one in adversity. Like, yeah. he's like, I'm the one who has to be patient. I'm the one dealing with being literally fucking beaten. Which was like, oh, yeah, that's funny because it's true. But it's also, like, sad and very honest. And the other one that stuck out for that is that Again, towards the end, one of the Dromeos has a little explosion where he's like, I've literally, I've served him since my nativity is what he says. Mm. I've literally served him for as long as I can remember. And all I've gotten for it is being beaten. I've gotten nothing for it but beating. And it's like, ooh. But then it's interesting because I will say again with the rhythm of the way the comedy works, especially with um, the Antiphilus Dromeo situation, um... It, it is very like, I'm feeding you this setup so you can knock down the punchline. And that inherently as a comedic structure is very like camaraderie, if that makes sense. So it is interesting that just in the rhythm of the jokes, they sort of write a friendship, even though they don't actually support that in the actions of any of the characters. I think a lot of this play feels like prototypes, like Shakespeare working on his tight 10 Um, Because he has a lot of these friendships later on in plays that are much more evenly matched, where one dude will be, you know, the Romeo who's more of a higher status or whatever, and a little more, uh, or like maybe... Bassanio and Bassanio's friend whose name I can never remember and you will never let me look it up. <laughs> nope, um, just, that's that's going to be a I have to weird joke wait, in the podcast. Wait until we read Merchant of Venice. <laughs> um, where one of them is like the more highborn and the other one is the one who makes ribald jokes and whatever, but they're kind of on a more even footing. This one is like a horrible, evil mirror universe version of that friendship where the Antiphili are just straight up mean to the Dromeos. I will say also what's interesting is that and Antiphilus and Antiphilus and Dromeo and Dromeo have different personalities. Yeah. And you can note that. And I think 
hopefully you play that in the play itself. Like, Talk a little bit more about that. How would you describe their different personalities? Antiphilus of Syracuse and Antiphilus of Dromeo. Uh, nah! Dromeo of Syracuse. Antiphilus of Dromeo. So these are the two that are visiting. These the are the Syracuse two that are not boys. actually. These are the two that are looking for their twins, theoretically. I'm going to call Antiphilus of Syracuse Ashley and Antiphilus of Ephesus Mary Kate. So Ashley and Ashley's Dromeo. Wait, that's confusing. Okay, cool. Ashley's and Ashley's Dromeo, who are from Syracuse, are actually friends. They're, That's what I was going to say. They like each other. They're, and they're the two that have that kind of set up humor where he's like, what? A fat chick was like, I'm your wife. Tell me more. Yeah. He's like, oh, I love when Dromeo degrades fat women. Continue doing that, Dromeo, my BFF, who I also own. <laughs> um, they suck in a like frat boys suck kind of way where they're like mean and drunk and hitting on girls, but they're not, like, evil. Yeah. Mary-Kate of Ephesus and Mary-Kate's Dromeo fucking hate each other and suck in a, like, capitalism sucks way. Like, Adriana's, who is the wife of Mary-Kate, Adriana's monologue where she's like, why won't my husband love me, is sad. I mean, she's a white feminist because she's like, I've feel for my own plight, but I'm still going to beat up my servants because Why not? who cares about them? Am I right? Like she sucks too, but she's really acknowledging that like her husband doesn't care about her very much. And she has no options in this life, but to be his wife and be bitter about it. It's also their relationship is interesting to me because other people talk about it and they're like, ah, oh, yes, Mary Kate of Ephesus. Like, He's so upstanding and everybody likes him. And even like Ashley of Syracuse is like, whoa, everyone's being so nice to me. Clearly whoever they think I am is, is a cool person. Yeah. But then Adriana's like, from the jump is like, I think he's cheating on me. And the first thing that Mary Kate does when he gets barred from the doors to go have dinner is he's like, fuck it. I'm going to go dine with a courtesan yep. and I'm going to give her a really pretty necklace that I was going to give to my life, but she can go suck it. So like, he's totally cheating on yep. her. Oh, for sure. He's for sure cheating on her. And she has this sad monologue where she's also, it's not just that she's like being cheated on. She's also like, if you cheat on me, you make me unclean because I am the other half of you. And so mm -hmm. anything you do is also a sin of mine. And so by like cheating on me, you're making me feel gross. And it's like this interestingly constructed argument that yep. is dramatic, but sad. Yeah. And it's also, again, this whole play feels like frat boy, young Shakespeare kind of sketching out some of his like, like this is like his 90s stand up and he's really going to like hit his stride in the early aughts, you know, mm -hmm. where this is all like, oh, women, am, am I right? And LOL. then later on, he'll like get more into it. But like this, a, a lot of Adriana stuff is, is prototype Kate. I, no one fact check me on whether Taming the Shoe was written before or after this one. Um, that's also an early play. But she's prototype Kate or, or you know, a, a similar archetype to Kate from Taming the Shrew and that she's just like, a bitchy kick-ass woman, but also some of her language is prototype Amelia from That's Othello. what I was thinking, is she's got a lot of Amelia-type rhetoric of being, like, genuinely invested in her relationship with her husband and clearly loves him and wants him to just be present. Yeah, and I th feel like a lot of this is Shakespeare dragging himself for being a shit husband. Because she has all these lines like, uh, what ruins are in me that can be found by him not ruined? Then he is the ground of my defeatures, my decayed fair, a sunny look of his would soon repair. But to unruly deer, he breaks the pale and feeds from home. Poor I, I am but his stale. Like, she's just down on herself and like the only my only purpose in this life is to make my husband happy and he's fucking cheating on me and not even here half the time i will say to the credit of this play as much as it does drag everyone in in a way that feels almost general when you remember it mm -hmm. there are essentially four and a half women in this play <laughs> um and they all have very distinctive personalities oh, we've yeah. got adriana who we just described and then her sister Luciana, who's like, I'm super gorgeous and also very fine with the way things are in a way that Adriana is not. Adriana's mm -hmm. frustrated. And then you've got the the mom, the abbess mom, who's kind of a bitch. <laughs> she's a huge bitch. But in a different way where she's like, 
starts dragging Adriana about being a bad wife. Yeah. Where she's like, if you were a better wife, he wouldn't have gone insane. And then it turns out they were just twins. But she never <laughs> apologizes or anything. She's just like, surprise, I was... Also, she's fucking dumb. How big is this town that she's been looking literally her whole life and hasn't managed to find also, this very popular man? Also, she knows their names. Yeah, she knows that their names are Antiphilus and Dromeo. And from context clues, it doesn't seem like there are a bunch of Antiphiluses in this town because everyone is like, Antiphilus, that one guy who's married to Adriana, him yes. who's very rich and notable. Yeah, so I don't know how she's gone her whole life in this town just being an ab. Maybe she just liked being an abbess and now Maybe she's been she- caught. Here's the thing is, she's she, kn- she knew. She knew. The thing is that she knew and she just didn't want to and deal with it. And she was being it. mean to Adriana. <laughs> I think maybe she just didn't like Adriana. She's like the worst mother-in-law. I think she just didn't like her son Antiphilus. Like Who she sucks. realized that he grew Mary up to Kate be... Mary Kate is bad. The, Mary Kate, thank you for correcting me. She realized that her son Mary Kate just grew up to be an asshole who beats his Dromeo and is mean to his wife. She's like, fuck it, I'm gonna And be an disrespects abbess. the courtesan. But then, honestly, the courtesan is like the the quiet unsung hero because she's she is. she's just there to get what's hers. She's like, fuck it, you want to give me a chain? Great. And then as soon as there's any chance that Mary Kate's crazy, she's like, fuck, I need to get my ring back. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm just going to go to his wife and I'll like be subtle about it so that the wife doesn't get mad at me. But like, I need that ring. It's expensive. Yeah, this is a play that is hyper aware of the price of jewelry. <laughs> it's true. The, the <laughs> price of jewelry really drives the majority of the plot. It's- what is driving the plot more than anything? Because the Antiphili and the Dromeos are just kind of like, Oh, weird that this is happening. Guess I'll go along with it for the most part. Yeah, and it's not until the jeweler is like, no, that chain is so fucking expensive that I'm going to jail you for not paying for it. (sighs) Really a play about how capitalism ruins lives. But yeah, the courtesan is uh, unfortunately not a very big part. But I, I do think it's interesting that the women are kind of the sensible ones for the most part. Well, and also the... People keep trying to gaslight Adriana and be like, your your mm-hmm. fears are unfounded, but the courtesan's character name is literally the courtesan. L- he's literally cheating on her, and also she is right that that's not her husband in his right mind. I mean, Adriana is right about everything except that she uh, physically and emotionally abuses Dromeo. Yeah. Wait, what about Luciana? Luciana is really interesting because I think the way she's written, I don't think we're meant to agree with her. Maybe this is just me putting all of my 21st century feminist baggage onto her. But she has all of these, like, funny monologues about, um, especially when Ashley of Syracuse is hitting on her after dinner. And he's like, hey, I'm not actually married and you're very hot. And she's like, no, no, I mean, it's fine if you're in love with me or someone else. But just pretend. Like, just hold it all together for the family. Pretend that the status quo is fine and just lie through your teeth. That's fine. We're all fine with you lying as long as you pretend to love my sister. And like, it's it's funny, but it's also kind of like, I think we as the audience are meant to disagree with that well, as a strategy for living your life. I think it's a funny bit. Yeah. I think that it's very easy to have that bit be played genuine um, in a way that's not funny. But I think that a smart actor will play it that it's genuinely the perspective of Luciana, but with like a slight amount of wry self-awareness that like this also is bad advice along with every other piece of advice we see in this play. Yeah. Like they're all quirky characters with strong perspectives and none of them are right. And also I think the joke of Luciana is that, I mean, the joke of Adriana is that she's so angry and bitter and like hyper aware of the shitty lot in life that she has. Luciana is kind of, you know, she's like one of those horrible blonde alt-right YouTube star girls, um, like Tommy Laren or whatever, where she's just like, yeah, it's fine that everyone hates me as long as they think I'm hot. It's fine that women are abused as long as men think I'm cute. Doesn't matter. She also feels proto-Bianca. Yes. Because, like, Bianca is, like, much lovelier. (laughs) Yeah. She's definitely proto-Bianca, but, like, also very willing to be like, yeah, you can cheat on my sister. That's chill as long as you pretend that you're not. As long as nobody knows. (sighs) Really the only true feminist in this play is now. Yes, Nell, sweet Nell. So Nell is the the kitchen woman that is married 
to the Dromeo who lives with Ashley in in Ephesus, Ephesus, anemone, anemone. I cannot say that word to save my life. Um. Anyway, and so when Dromeo, the wrong Dromeo, comes home, she doesn't know, and she's like, "Honey, come kiss me" or whatever. And then he just so Dromeo of Ephesus, no. So Dromeo of Syracuse runs into Nell, the wife of Dromeo of Ephesus, and she's like, hey, honey, and tries to kiss him. And he's like, bazinga, a fat woman. And then just does like a shit ton of like bad early Seinfeld stand up of like, how fat was she? So fat. Yeah, it's really the original Yo Mama jokes were about Nell of Ephesus. (sighs) And one... I mean, I I do, yeah, okay. The the play is is being mean to Nell, who never appears on stage and is my favorite character. But I do want to say that her husband never insults her. Dromeo of Ephesus, who is the saddest character in the entire show. Move aside, Caliban. Dromeo of Ephesus is just, he's so put upon and sad and tortured. He's Dobby! He's Dobby <laughs> the house elf for sure. I just, I wish this play ended with Antipolis of Syracuse giving him a sock. Like, I do like that. I, okay, I did, full disclosure, I teared up a little bit at the reading the end of this play. I find that shocking and delightful. Because the Dromeos are so sad. I mean, once you remove... It's also, to be fair to Comedy of Errors, it's a play that doesn't... It's not that as funny on the page as it is when you have hysterical, physical comedians. And it's true. It's designed for so much physical comedy. Yeah, it's designed for bits. It's a vaudevillian kind of like... It, it's more just a loose gossamer framework on which to hang a bunch of like really good bits yeah um so when you just read it you're just like boy sure are mean to these dromeos and then at the end one good for dromeo of ephesus for never insulting his beautiful fat wife nell who i love he also he doesn't knows if she's fat we never see her we don't see her but like even I if she she is and he's into it you I, know that's how i feel he's into it he's there for it he this supports her it's secretly profound it's women. secretly a body positive play anti-capitalist play about the plight of the working class in ephesus we're gonna have to really get into that in a second um, i'm gonna need you to explain <laughs> your thoughts on how this I, is an anti-capitalist play but i no, just, you were saying the end of the play that made you cry um, yeah, well, not cry, but just like get a little bit choked up because um, one that uh, Ashley's Dromeo is like, oh, I ran into your wife and she thought that I was her husband, but I guess she'll be my sister now. I so mean, he doesn't say anything shitty to him. Which is, you know, about. it's, it's not, the bare minimum. It's the bare minimum of like treating Nell with human kindness. But that Dromeo of Ephesus is just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's my wife. Um, and, and, you know. I'm going to richly interpret the text um, to say that that means that he truly loves and respects her and is a beautiful body positive male feminist. Don't know that that's actually there, but, you know. <laughs> it's our podcast. It's our podcast. <laughs> um, and you can play them all as, as just horrible, shitty, it's all sunny in Philadelphia people. That's fine. You can do that if you want to. Um, but then the, the Dromeos were like, who should leave first? Like, they have this moment of being like, who is higher in the hierarchy play in this play that's all about the capitalist enforced oh. hierarchy of who has the most money, has the most power, evidenced by the fact that Antiphilus of Ephesus is a big old asshole, but everyone's nice to him because he's rich. And that's why he holds power. And like his Dromeo is the least empowered person in the entire play because he's the poorest and servant to the richest. And like because they have that huge power gap he's just the most put upon and the most tortured and then at the end he has this moment with his brother he's finally found someone who is an equal and thinks of him as an equal and they're like who should go first into dinner and then whichever other dromeo is like let's go together and they hold let's hands hand in hand and i was just world. like this is how the proletariat is going to See, i love that because I, my reaction to that as a person with a sibling <laughs> Was that the f- I'm an only child. Was that my reaction was that, oh my god, you have found your sibling, and the first thing you're going to do is find something to bicker about, which is which of us is older, because that's what it gets That's to go very first. cute. And I was like, 
Oh my god, fucking siblings. <laughs> I don't know. So I love your voice is like beautiful and poetic, and mine is just like the realities of having a sibling. I think yours is probably closer to the ethereal intent, but Shakespeare's dead. So He's never gonna listen to this podcast. Fuck that guy. Am I right? Whatever. Yeah, but it was it was funny though because I actually wrote down and I actually love that you answered my question. <laughs> I was like, to have that be the last line of this play the fuck was I supposed to take from this play? I mean, only if you're me and you're reading this play the same week that all three of your day jobs are like exploding all over you and you're just like, (laughs) I hate society and the fact that there are any hierarchies ever and just like, I mean, look, I don't think that Shakespeare sat down to write an anti-capitalist screed and I don't think it's supported by most productions. But just in my reading of it, it was a weirdly (laughs) pro uh, the underclass, pro the proletariat, pro- the Jeromeo's kind of like finding some small, tiny amount of solace and equality and, and humanity and humanity and solidarity in each other. And also Nell, my favorite character. Yeah. I love that. That's very beautiful. <laughs> um, the other thing yeah. that I'm wondering if you picked up on, like as long as we're going to talk about broader themes for a second mm-hmm. is, um, did you pick up on all of the talk about time? They make so many weird jokes yeah. about Time is threaded through this play. Interesting. Linguistically. Yeah. They I wrote down a few of them, and it's a lot of times it's in the bits, mm-hmm. but they talk about time being bald, and they talk about time being a thief, and they're just like multiple bits about time, but it was one of the few like large thematic ideas that is in any way in this play. Mm. And I mostly just wanted to bring it up. I was like, what are you doing there? That's very interesting. Because in some respect, like, all of comedy is about timing. Right? Like, that's part of it, I think. I Again, I didn't really have an answer mm-hmm. so much as it was a thing that came up enough times for me to clock it. Yeah, I don't know. Because I think it's also because... I was sort of desperately searching for, like, what what's the point of this play? Um, <laughs> uh, the point of this play is that Shakespeare and his bros had a bunch of bits that they wanted to do. Yeah. Like, for sure, the, the germ of this play was Shakespeare being super shitty to some, like, serving woman at a tavern and just doing a bunch of, like, insult comic work and his friends being like, oh, you should put this in a play! Yeah, I will also say that it makes me feel like a bad feminist, but, like, those jokes are funny. They're funny. They're they're mean. They're mean. Uh, yeah, I think we can recognize that they are linguistically clever. Clever. I think, and more than that, I think that a lot of Shakespeare's. Let me clarify that for a second. I think it's also that a lot of Shakespeare's prose comedy clowning doesn't translate mm-hmm. because the jokes are so. Pre- presumably, they were about like slang of the time and memes of the time and like jokes of the time. Yep. And so, like when you're joking about stewed prunes and measure for measure, like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It does you the greatest clown in the world doesn't make me know what that's talking about unless I know. That meant you know something I mean? to someone. Yeah. However, and it does, and you learn when you're doing whatever. Not the play we're talking about today, but when you say you know her breath is bad, like I know what that means. When you say like she's she's whatever. So I think it's less that the jokes are genuinely funny and more that the the frames of reference are so base that we know what they're talking about. Yeah, and, and although there are some references like, and because um, they're, they're finding out countries in her body because yeah. she's so spherical. Get it? Ugh, gross. Yeah, it's um, gross. Gr- I'm saying the men are gross. Some not, of, not Nell is gross. No, Nell is true. my best friend. It's true. Some of them make me sad. That's one of the Most ones of them that, make me does sad. She's spherical like a globe. I can find our countries on her as a line. I like when they start going into like, where's Ireland? Do you lose? But me? yeah, and when they're like, and where are the Americas? He's like, her nose, of course, because it's full of carbuncles, which you can parse is like, oh, he's saying that she has a lot of like blackheads and zits on her nose, yeah. which are are likened to the jewels that America was supposedly full of. But it's also like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just, there are some of the jokes because they're so, like, at the time, I'm sure everyone would be like, oh, yeah, like, Rubies. classic, like, they crave that mineral, America's. Am I right? Like, you know, like, the meme with the goats? Hashtag they crave that mineral. You know the meme? You know that meme? Do no, you, what goat? Do you don't know the meme with the goats where they, they crave that mi- mineral? I don't know the what goats, you're talking about. The goats crave the mineral. Goats crave the mineral? It's an minerals? old meme. What mineral do It's they... a vintage meme. <laughs> it's like, it's some, there's like a picture <laughs> of goats climbing a wall to lick salt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, that's what I think of the Nell bit. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and this Nell is... Bit. <laughs> Just her spinoff mm-hmm. film. I do think it's interesting, though, because um, a lot of Shakespeare's plays, you know, he'll do... I mean, almost always he'll give prose bits to the poor people and verse bits to the higher-ups, and when things are rhyming couplets, they're a little more either like clever clever witty. or witty or silly there were a lot of rhyming couplets in this there play. were and there were also a lot of like dromeo talking in prose to an f yeah f- who uh <laughs> who was talking in verse yeah which i think just highlights that the i was picking up that i was picking up so much on the class differences in this play i think also because they really make a point of talking about the drum like the dromeos are not just servants they're slaves yeah and they make that point that shit's a bummer. A bunch in this play. And it's so hard to get around. It's hard to get audience. around and it's hard to laugh at. It's also <laughs> hard to stage if you want to stage it anywhere other than in tights. You know what I mean? Yeah, unless it's like the Elizabethans' idea of ancient Greece. Yeah. It's hard because. Clearly, I mean, it also feels like it's in this world of the Elizabethans loved doing, like, plays about classical antiquity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does feel like it's in a, you know, comedy version of Titus Andronicus, sort of, like, heightened cartoon world of the Elizabethans. <laughs> All right. No, that- no, no, no. no. I, I just mean in terms of, like, the Elizabethans' idea of what, like, Greco-Roman antiquity No, I know. I'm like. teasing you. I don't mean that this play is in any way, like, Titus Andronicus. That's why I had to stop and clarify that for a sec. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that just be great if, like, three quarters of the way through for. this, like, Goofy mix em ups, Lindsay Lohan family comedy. You just cut off Lindsay Lohan's it's just, tongue. It's just, just like cut off someone's and then, hands yeah, and tongue. Just, oof, oof. No, it wouldn't be funny. It would be very sad. Very sad. Um, can I bring up something that I think is Loki the funniest part of this play? Please that do. I don't think enough people talk about. Yes. The Duke is the funniest character in the play. I'd like to make <laughs> that as a statement. Uh, the Duke is like, okay, I have to put you to death at the very beginning. F. Aegean. Tells this whole fucking nonsense story about his <laughs> twins being lost. And the Duke is here for it. He's so excited about the story. He's like, loves it. He's so, he's just enthralled. Mm-hmm. And then he presumably spends the rest of the day of the play, like walking around town with a G and being like, Will anybody pay his bail? I really don't want to put him to death. Because when we see them later, Adrian is literally like, look, there's the Duke. I'm going to go talk to him. He's also with this dude. And he's like, here's this guy I have to put to death in like an hour unless, do you want to pay his bail? And then literally, once the story gets told, he says, with all my heart, I'll gossip at this feast. And I just think that is the best line in the play and one we should all say more often. The Duke's just having a great time. The Duke just wants the tea. The Duke just wants the tea. The Duke's not, he's not being messy with his servants. He's not dealing with any of the women so we don't see him be sexist. He's just there for a good time and I love him. Also, I like that how broken the Ephesus judicial system is that the Duke, who seems to just have unlimited, unchecked power, is like, well, gotta kill this guy who I love and don't think did anything wrong. And then at the end, when they're like, we'll pay his bail, he's like, all right, tight. Well, no, I actually, but that's part of why I like the Duke, is the Duke's like, look, a law's a law, which is like, has problems in my own heart as a person in society. Mm. But I think that in terms of like this judicial system, he's like, look, even though I- He's lawful neutral. Exactly. He's like, even though I like you a lot, I'm not going to make an exception for you just because you have a cool story. Like, you aren't supposed to be here. The law is you pay bail or you get put to death. But I'll do everything in my power to make sure you make bail because you're a chill dude. And I think that's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's beautiful. Really, it's a beautiful play is what we're saying. Just mostly the Duke, just the Duke and Nell. And now, Goodreads Reviews. Comedy of Errors, 
The one where everyone's a douchebag and the two people who are explicitly searching for their long lost twin brothers are never one, never once suspect that, <laughs> hey, maybe the reason everyone here recognizes us and is telling us we did things that we never did is because those brothers are here. <laughs> that was all in caps. I didn't enjoy it as I hoped to. I didn't know what it was about until the end. <laughs> I'd say it's the most confused of Shakespeare that I have ever read. This was dot 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 all right? Question mark. <laughs> I think it is very apparent that this was one of Shakespeare's first plays. And although it was fairly easy to understand and follow, I did not get anything out of reading this. Were the errors funny? <laughs> I guess. I just expected it to provide something else. <laughs> the comedy of errors is perfect, but it is perfection of a low order. <laughs> The comedy of errors is to Shakespearean comedies what Romeo and Juliet is to tragedies. <laughs> a lackluster attempt to create conflict in a good storyline while putting inept characters into unnecessary circumstances that could be easily fixed. Comedy, not funny haha, funny queer, I guess. Really, it's just a soap opera of idiots and assholes in a day of mistaken identities where the reaction to confusion is to beat it. It wasn't believable, really. How can you be searching the globe for a long-lost twin and never think, have I found him, when you come to a new place in which people start talking to you like they know you? And thus, couldn't get into it. Oof, sentence construction. But even if I had, I still wouldn't have liked it because the people suck and not in a villainous sort of way, but in a reality show personality <laughs> way. <laughs> Don't read it unless you have to. And if you have to, protest. I'm not really into this sort of thing, but this one was a tad bit amusing. I bet the author could have been a rapper. Dot, dot, dot. Amused, period. <laughs> WTF and Pornell are all I can recall from reading this play. Not my favorite of his. A bit obvious. I portrayed Dr. Pinch. <laughs> the last part. 2003. <laughs> no Shakespeare. This is just bad. This has been Goodreads Reviews. <sighs> And now, what you've all been eagerly awaiting, the part of the podcast where we each read a monologue in a series of funny voices. So, Charlotte, uh, what monologue do you have for us today? This is Adriana's monologue where she's talking about how much her husband sucks from Act 2, Scene 1. Great. Uh, you can get started and I'll, um, I'll jump on in. Okay. His company must do his minions grace while, whilst I... Zsa Gabor. Whilst I at home starve for a merry look, hath homely age the luring beauty took from my Russian. poor cheek, then he hath wasted it. <laughs> Are my discourses dull? Bearing my wit, evoluble and sharp discourse. Darth denied. Vader. Oh. blunts it more than marble has. <laughs> Do their good vestments his affections date? Oh. That's not my fault. Mickey Mouse. Ho ho! He's master of my state! What ruins are in me that can be found by him not ruined? Then is he the ground of my defeat? William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> my decayed, fair, a sunny look of his would soon repair. Gollum. Gollum. But to unruly dare, he breaks the pilot. Her eyes are three times larger. (laughs) (laughs) And feeds from whom, for I am but his tail. Femme fatale. Unfeeling fools can with such wrongs dispense. I know his eye doth homage otherwhere. Or else what lets it but he would be here? Sister, you know he promised me a chain. Scottish. Would that alone a toy he would detain? So he would keep fair quarter with his bed. I see the jewel best enameled will lose his beauty. Yet the gold bad Sylvester still. Sylvester from the Looney Tunes. 
that others touch off and often touching will wear gold and no man that hath a name by falsehood and corruption doth it shame. Cockney. Gorsets at my beauty cannot please his eye. I'll weep what's left away and weeping joy. Amazing. It's a bad die from Cockney, but sorry. That was that was that was some voices. Those, those were, were those were some, some voices, voices in an iconic speech. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're probably the first person to read that particular speech as Darth Vader. I need to brush up my golem is what I'm learning from this experience. <laughs> it's good to sort of have a, a postmortem on it's, on it's good to have a goal. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been part one of our Comedy of Errors discussion. In the in a couple of weeks, the angels. Oh, Sometimes no. you forget to say something in your podcast. So I'm going to introduce a new bit here at the very end when everyone's sick of listening to the podcast. Good. I think now is the time. Now is definitely the time. Now for is that. the time for everyone to listen to us talk some more. Um, I would like to call this segment Regrets. Okay. And I think that it should be us bringing up the ideas that we forgot to talk about in our last podcast. Oh, I love that. So it's for the other plays that we've, in any any past play we've discussed. Yeah. So maybe we can do a, like so, a, like a, wah, 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 regrets. Okay. I love that. So can you give me the intro again so I can jump in with your, wah, 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 wah. Okay. Yeah. Um. I will remember you as well that ends well. Will you remember me? Wah, 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 wah. Regrets. I love it. So my major regret from our discussion about all's well that ends well um I just you know ain't it always the way you finish recording your podcast and then you come up with the most brilliant scholarly shakespearean point uh you know something that would just make harold bloom quit and go move into the mountains Do a handstand. <laughs> and um and it's too late and my my stroke of theatrical brilliance is that all's well that ends well has the same plot as the popular sitcom crazy ex-girlfriend <laughs> i i want so badly to see a production where rachel helena is rachel bloom or rebecca bunch if you will if you haven't seen crazy ex-girlfriend that's really your problem yeah I don't go, see how go that's watch my it problem. but really you can stop after season two watch the first two seasons and then and just imagine it's just as good for the rest of time yeah. um but the first two seasons amazing so amazing but and then what's his face bertram is josh chan or just like a hot dumb, dumb idiot you're right because fool. we like josh chan but he has a lot of the same oh my god I mean, really, if if all assholes in Shakespeare, if you just replace them with Josh Chan, they immediately become likable. Yeah. Um, and Rachel or Rachel Bloom's character, Rebecca Bunch, walks that very fine line between exuberant and smart and in love and uh, total... And really good at her job. Yeah, and a total controlling nightmare who manipulates and emotionally abuses um, people she's in a relationship with, which is Helena all over. And then Greg as Parolis, because he fucking sucks. Yes. Greg apologist, go home, wash your face, take a long look at your life. I don't like romances that are rooted in a guy being kind of mean to a woman. And that is that is Greg and Rebecca. And that is my the point I have to make about You're also yelling. that ends well. You're yelling. <laughs> is that Greg was not good writing for the show. It's fine to have assholes date on television. That's fine. But also good that he wrote off the show. Thank God they never recast him or brought him back on. Because you didn't watch season four. No, because season four doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so that's, and I would also like to see a musical um, production of All's Well That Ends Well in the vein of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's true, because there, there's also that, I feel like they, both Rebecca Bunch's character and Helena struggle with that, like, they want everything to be a fairy tale. Yep. And they're living in this world of, like, heightened drama that they, mm-hmm. that's so good. Mm-hmm. I want that production. It would be so colorful. Uh, wait, as long as we're on the subject of yeah. regrets, can I tell you we're about always, I'm always on the subject my, of regrets. Okay, wait. So my quick all's well thought that mm-hmm. I had yes. this past week or so is uh, the a wonderful way to stage it. Mm. Ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Would be uh, that the war mm-hmm. that he's going off to is a battle of the bands. 
Because that explains why Parolis is always talking about his drum. Oh, he has to God. go find his drum, and the, like the the girls that Bertram want is a, he's like got groupies, and that's yes. why he doesn't want to get married. And there's a little bit of that like country mouse, city mouse. Like maybe it opens with like Helena and Bertram are like jamming in their basement, and she's like one of the guys. Because I think there is a part of Helena of like as one of the guys that really like works trading barbs about virginity, like drinking. With beer yeah and like wearing a metallica t-shirt or like a zeppelin whatever and then they go to the city Mm. and bertram's like i just wanted to be i want to just perform it also explains why his mom's tone of talking about bertram as a soldier very much has the tone of like (laughs) yeah he's off uh playing the electric banjo it's i that's practical and then when he's like wooing diana with music yeah Ah, and then at the end they could do a rockin' like rock and roll duet where Helena's like on bass and Bertram's on guitar, and you can just forget about the fact that she pressured him into marrying her. Yeah, and and I think maybe at the beginning they we come up with some kind of tune that's recurring, and like Uh, maybe he plays it a little bit before he enters in in that scene where I'm arguing that he's confused, even though he could totally just be relieved that she's dead. (laughs) So he like plays that, and you're like, oh, he misses her a little bit, and then they like play it at the end, and it sounds. Full. And Parolis is going to get his drum for a good reason. Yeah, there's a like a literal reason. drum, and then he needs it because they're in a band. You can't do the band without the drum, so it's very important. That's so that's those are our regrets. <laughs> what a perfect way to end this podcast on comedy of errors yes. by talking about how all's well that ends well would make a great rock musical. musical. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are What You Will. A tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. I've been Charlotte Aline. And I'm still Danielle Cohn. Who am I now? (laughs) Uh, Please, we put up this stuff on the internet. We're on iTunes. Please leave us an iTunes review. Yes, write, write a nice thing. It takes two seconds and it helps other people find us. And uh, rate us five stars. None of this one star Goodreads nonsense. Yeah. Um, please share this podcast with your friends. We're trying to get the word of mouth out there to annoy other people with our Shakespeare opinions. If you would like to respectfully share your own wrong opinion with us, yeah. you can email us at whatyouwillpodcast at gmail.com to let us know a thought that you have about the play that we've been discussing. Yeah, we're super excited to hear your thoughts and uh, to maybe goof on them. Yeah, but you do it in a nice way. Like, be nice to us yeah, is if, the real if you're thesis not nice of to this us, podcast. We, we, we'll just be sad. We, and we, just, won't won't we just won't read the email. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we love you. you can disagree with us. You're allowed to have a wrong opinion. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. That's it. Yeah, let's uh, let's sign off. Let's sign off. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Goodbye. 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 Muffin is bad. Can I try it? Yeah. <laughs> I bought a muffin this morning and it was bad. Where did you buy a muffin? You left the house this morning? No. <laughs> I seamless to my breakfast this morning. There, I said it. <laughs> you seamless a muffin? No. I didn't make the it, card minimum. It was like 50 cents under. This so is I good. Bought. It's a good muffin. You don't like it? I don't dislike it, but I don't. It's not quite what I want in this moment, but it's here, so I'm eating it. So you can also eat it, and then we'll both enjoy this weird muffin. That's what Shakespeare would have wanted. I don't know if it's what I expected for this muffin. What kind of muffin is this? I don't remember. It's got a bunch of weird stuff in it. It's fun. It's like like corn and plantains and like like maybe kamleche. It's good, yeah. We're sharing a muffin. Like mice. (laughs) (laughs) This is essential to our discussion of comedy bears.